Hey there, welcome back to Needed Conversations with Ryan and Victoria Cole. So glad that you joined us for another incredible segment today as we're continuing our communication series and we have really dived in deep and it's been really phenomenal. We actually just got a revelation literally like moments before starting this episode. So you want to stay tuned and regardless whether you're single or married, this is going to be an incredible conversation that you want to be a part of. That's right. We're talking about communication. And I believe that this revelation that we're going to give you guys today is for some of you going to drastically help the way that you communicate with your spouse, especially how to approach tough conversations, challenging issues in your relationship. Well, we're going to give you those strategies today. And let me tell you, it's going to be good. So make sure you stay tuned. But before we jump into all of that revelation, we want to remind you to visit moremostforever.com for all of your marriage resources. And while you're there, please consider becoming a partner with this ministry. We are a nonprofit and everything we do requires resources from producing books and materials and resources to hosting events, etc. Counseling couples who can't afford it. All of that requires resources. So would you consider becoming a partner? Go now to moremostforever.com and sign up and give any amount each month. $25 is a good starting point for most people. So you can commit to one year. That would be amazing and help us to accomplish this mission of reaching more couples with the gospel of the kingdom and marriage being one of the most important things we could ever address if we want to make a a powerful impact on culture. So please become a partner. And thank you for all those who do support on a monthly basis. It really means the world and lives are being changed every single day because of it. So we're talking about communication, which is a little side note. We are releasing a new book here in a couple of months. In honor of this podcast, we have titled it Needed Conversations. I don't think that that was necessarily our plan to begin with, but as the book sort of uh, started to unfold, we realized it would be a good um, connection there. And it's about what? Communication. Mm -hmm. Which is a number one issue for uh, most of the couples out there. I think that we all struggle with that at some point or the other. And we just want to give you guys strategies that will carry you throughout your life, something that will work for you because you both are, you know, different individuals. You both came from different upbringings and you have to create a strategy that's going to work for you. So we are excited to launch this book because we are really being blessed even by the revelation that we are receiving from God just writing this book. So I know it's going to be an, an important tool for you to have in your marriage and to utilize. And we're going to be having a book launch event here as well in the next couple of months in Greenville, South Carolina. So if you want to attend that, make sure you follow us on social media at More Most Forever, Facebook and Instagram. And I'm sure you'll be inspired and encouraged by our reels and our posts and and stuff like that. But we have had this conversation about communication. We talked about our strategy of bringing your issues to the table and the Mm -hmm. table being the altar of the Lord. We talked about prayer being your number one go-to strategy when communicating. And then we've talked about the importance of intimacy. We talked about how to have some of these tough conversations. But today, uh, as we move from emotional intelligence to vulnerability, we want to take you to a story in the Bible that we believe lays out pretty well 
how to approach your spouse when you're dealing with a challenge, an offense, Mm -hmm. a problem. And when, whenever we talk about marriage, I always tell the story of how we stumbled sort of into marriage ministry, which was God instructing us to go and study the Bible about marriage and me looking through the small group of verses that we find in the New Testament and just being frustrated in the Holy Spirit telling me, Ryan, the entire Bible with all of its 66 books inside of it is about marriage from Genesis to Revelation. And so now we've taken that approach and that is our context from a kingdom perspective looking from Genesis to Revelation. If this is a story of a husband and a, and a bride, then how can we find strategies to help in our relationship? This is the most important institution that God ever created because your marriage is a reflection of the gospel. And so we've studied the books of the Bible, or I wouldn't say all of them, but along our Bible study, we always have that in mind. Like, how is the story of marriage being told here? And in particular today, when we were talking about vulnerability and what it is and what it means and how to be transparent in in your conversations without coming off as if you're attacking your spouse, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's that's what a lot of people do is they attack, they attack, they attack, and they say, well, I'm just being real. You know, I'm just just keeping it 100. You want me to be honest with you, right? But sometimes honesty isn't the problem. Your approach is the problem, and having discernment is the problem, and using the right words and the right strategy is the problem, because you have to distinguish between the problem that you're both facing, which one of you is more responsible than the other in contributing to this challenge in your relationship. But that doesn't mean that your spouse is the enemy. That doesn't mean that you should attack them. Instead, you should direct your energy towards the problem at hand. And so today when we were talking about that, the story of Esther just popped up before our minds. And the more we started to dig into it, the more we were like, okay, here it is. Here is the revelation that a lot of couples have been looking for. How do you deal with a challenging circumstance in your marriage? How do you approach that conversation? And we see Queen Esther who God strategically puts into the palace, and she becomes the wife of of the king. And the king has this right-hand man. His name is Haman, and Haman has it out against the Jews. And he sets into motion this series of events whereby the king makes a decree that the Jews are going to be annihilated. Mm -hmm. They're going to be destroyed. And all along, the king doesn't know that he married a Jew. But of course, God strategically put her there and he gave her a mentor, Mordecai, who was like the Holy Spirit, a voice of reason, of a counselor, a guide to help her navigate this responsibility that she had in marrying the king. And when that decree is sent forth, she implores a lot of strategies given to her through the council with Mordecai or the Holy Spirit in her life. And it was through implementing this strategy that she was able to save an entire nation of people, an entire ethnic group from being annihilated. 
And so when we look at this from the context of marriage, you see a wife and you see a husband. You, even though they were influential, even though she was queen and he was king, at the end of the day, she was a wife and he was a husband. And there was an elephant in the room with them always, and his name was Haman. Haman represented a lot of things. I want Victoria to dig into this a little bit as well, but then I want us to go step by step and look at what was Esther's strategy to be able to have this difficult conversation with her husband, whereby she was able to solve the the issue without attacking her husband in the process, even Mm -hmm. though ultimately her husband was responsible for making the decree that would have destroyed an entire ethnic group. You know, when we read the story, I feel like we read it with such ease because we know the outcome of it. But can you imagine and putting yourself in the shoes of Queen Esther? Yes. Coming from the common background, being put as a queen, and then her husband consulting with Haman, which is kind of a representative of pride. And the thing is that that the... The king actually didn't know that he was consulting with with that. He with was a consulting, devil. Yeah, exactly. And there had to be this, I don't know, the strategic approach. I mean, she was even going back and forth between when Mordecai was sending her letters and say, listen, you are our only hope mm. in this situation. And she was fearful. She would send the letters back to him. She's like, but if I go to the king uninvited, I'm going to get killed. So her attention was first, like, I'm, I'm going to perish. Like, how is that going to be effective if I approach my husband? Your first natural instinct in marriage is to protect yourself. Yeah. Like, you don't think about anything else, even though your whole nation of people is put, basically put to death uh, by a decree, but you first are more inward. And I think that that's, that's a reflection that everybody starts with. It first points to you, like, well, what yeah. about me, you know? What if I do this? How is how is this going to do make any kind of sense? Because I'm going to go there. I'm just going to get killed anyway. Or I didn't ask for this responsibility. Yeah. Why was I chosen as a queen? Yeah. You know, like why? And then he says, well, you were chosen. Maybe you were chosen for such, for a, such time a time as this. this. Yeah. And we say that scripture very often. And, you know, whatever challenges that you may be experiencing, God has given you this this responsibility in this marriage, but you were chosen for a moment like this and and God is through this process is cultivating uh, a character in you that would not otherwise be cultivated. And that's exactly what Esther did. She was very strategic. And the number one thing after this whole back and forth with Mordecai, she basically wrote a letter to Mordecai and the people and she requested that they fast with her. And they pray. fast and pray, yes. And that's exactly what we have been talking about in the first weeks of the series on communication is prayer. Like before you approach this tough conversation, you got to pray. And not only that, instead of gossiping or or doing what some of us wants to do, which is go and lament to our friends and you know complain about our spouse, no, why don't we invoke them and say, I can't give you all the details But for the next three days, I'm asking you as a prayer partner to fast and pray Mm -hmm. for my marriage because we're about to confront something. Man, that how powerful. I even get chills talking about that. Like, what if that's our strategy instead of going and complaining about our spouses, calling up our mom and say, Mom, I need you to fast and pray for the next three days because we are facing we are facing something in our marriage. I'm not going to go into the details, but we're going to confront this over the next three days. 
that's what Esther did. And I think, too, uh, to your point, Victoria, it is easy to immediately play the victim and say, well, what about my own happiness? What about my life? What about what I want? Well, your marriage has far-reaching consequences. Mm -hmm. Your marriage is not just about you and your spouse and the fact that you guys had butterflies when you were dating and you love the way they look at you and there's all these romantic feelings. No, your marriage is setting forth blessings or curses in the earth. Your marriage should be a tabernacle for the glory of God in that if you get it right, you are going to pass on blessings to the next generation. That means your kids are affected, your grandkids are affected, I don't want to go down the list of statistics of what happens when marriages thrive in a society, everything from education to health. We've done that before. But this is a prime example of a story in the Bible between a man and a woman who were married, who were in love, but they had influence. And their marriage meant more than just their individual happiness. It Mm -hmm. meant more than that one woman, Esther. She was chosen for such a time as this because the nation depended on it. And so even when you approach your challenges in marriage, know that you're not just fighting for your own happiness. You're fighting to pass on generational blessings so that your kids and your grandkids can walk in in a level of kingdom authority that maybe was not passed on to you. I'm not saying you're going to have a perfect marriage and your kids shouldn't see you go through these challenges. But what I'm saying is, is that you should take this marriage on with a lot of seriousness, with a lot of conviction, because your marriage, it matters more than just the happiness of two people. And, you know, in order for the the wrong to be exposed, there has to be a level of trust, transparency, and vulnerability, which is what we're talking about today. And I've actually looked up the definition of vulnerability and says the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed. Like that's the actual definition of vulnerability. And I know a lot of people look at vulnerability as a weakness, but it really is not because it's a strength. It takes courage to face issues in your life. Most people will try to run away from their problems versus let me get head on or confront this person or confront this issue in my life to make sure that I rid myself of pride and things that are displeasing to God so that I can move forward and God can cultivate that character in me where I will become more Christ-like because that's the ultimate goal is for all of us to become more Christ-like. And here's the reality. It's going to come to the light no matter what. And you can either be cooperative with the Holy Spirit to really strategically attack this problem in your marriage, or you can just respond And when you respond, more than likely it's going to be out of your flesh. It's going to come with offense and hurt, and you're going to add pain to more pain. And you're you're not going to end up with the results that you want. You have to approach this strategically. And this is exactly what Esther did when she consulted with Mordecai. Mm -hmm. She told the people to pray and fast. Mordecai represents the Holy Spirit. And she knew that her husband was dealing with an issue, a demon, who he has been consulting with. And that demon, as Victoria said, represented pride. And she had to say, I'm going to be vulnerable enough to put myself in harm's way for the sake 
of this marriage and for the sake of this nation. And what did she do? She runs into the throne room unannounced and without being summoned, which in the protocol of the of those times, she could have been beheaded or she could have been mm-hmm. killed mm-hmm. because that's how much they honored their protocols and the decrees of the kings and so on and so forth. And if she would not have gotten that scepter extended toward her, that would have been her fate. But she was willing to put her own life on the line for the sake of resolving this challenge. Yeah, and I want to add, too, like a lot of times we think, well, she must have been like astoundingly beautiful, you know, or like drop-dead gorgeous or something that the king just could not resist, and that's why he extended his scepter. But I really believe that it was through prayer and fasting that God turned the heart of the king towards his wife. How many beautiful women did that king see when he was going to choose a wife? They had all gone through the purification process, soaked Mm -hmm. in perfumes, chose out these fine linens to wear and gold, and they were beautiful, all of them. But there was something different about her. She had character. She had integrity. When she would read to the king, it struck a nerve inside of him. And so you're absolutely right. It had nothing to do with her beauty, even though I'm sure she was beautiful, but had everything to do with her obedience to the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. which was Mordecai in her life, and fasting and prayer, and that she decided to be vulnerable. And I love this, when she burst into the room, right, and she approaches the king, and the scepter is extended towards her, she could have taken that opportunity to expose it all. To bring it out into the open and say, Haman is this, Haman is that. How could you make this decree against these people? I'm Jewish. I'm this. She could have acted out of her emotions, mm-hmm. uh, out of fear. She could have acted out of um, desperation. But she said, no, I'm going to be strategic. And this is what she did. It is so powerful. She said, if it pleases the king, if I found favor with the king, she said, would you and Haman come to a banquet that I prepare. And it's so powerful today as we read this that Victoria and I said, there it is, the revelation that we've been teaching, like right there, first prayer, second, come to the table. Mm. She decided that she wasn't going to expose this issue in in the public. She wasn't going to pitch a fit and scream at her husband out in the parking lot. She wasn't going to, you know, make a fit in front of her family or out to dinner or, you know, when it boiled over at that moment. She said, no, I'm going to be strategic. And she, she, in the presence of their enemy, Haman, she said to her husband, if, if I found favor, would you and Haman come to a banquet? That means she said, I am going to approach this through the heart of serving serving my spouse. She could have had anybody else prepare food. or She said, no, I'm going to be a part of preparing this banquet. And she prepared the banquet. And she not only invited her husband, but she invited her husband's problem. Hmm. She invited the very thing to the table that was destroying their marriage that would have ultimately killed her because she was a Jew. And she brought it front and center. And so she was saying, I'm going to come to the table and I know there's going to be an elephant in the room, but I'm not going to allow that elephant, that problem that's glaring at us to intimidate me, to push me to say something that is not directed by the Holy Spirit. 
and she was strategic. When I tell you she was strategic. I mean, it just as soon as you said the table and the enemy, it made me think of David and Psalm 65, you prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yeah. I mean, how powerful it is. Like how, how many of us can sit at a table knowing our enemy sitting there and we can enjoy our meal? Right. <laughs> That's hard. But it says in that scripture, it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. I think it's not really you as a person that's confronting this issue. It's you allowing the grace of God to work through you in such a way where it's the anointing of God that yes. confronts the issue. And it's really out of your hands. It's and, out of her it's, hands. It's, it's not your, something she could have done. It was her posture in saying, I'm not going to attack the king. I'm not going to throw accusations. I'm going to serve. And I'm going to show my integrity. And she created this banquet. And I love this. Even at that banquet, she did not begin to call out Haman. So the king is all impressed with this meal that she's prepared. And, and he's like, what is it that you want? You know, at this point, his heart starts to turn. And she said, you know, I could take this opportunity to put a dagger in, right? Mm-hmm. Or I could allow the Holy Spirit to work. And she said, if I have favor with the king, would you come back tomorrow and let's do it again? And so she has a second banquet. Hmm. You know, a lot of times we want to rush. And as soon as we see the first opportunity, the first window, we want to insert ourselves. No, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit time to work on our spouse. And I love this. What happens is that Haman starts to get prideful. This is like spiritual warfare 101. And listen, this, this is so interesting because it's like the pride was sitting there and that whole feeling that a person gets when you're in a relationship and you have an issue in your marriage and you say, well, if I do this, then my husband or my wife is going to think that it's okay, that their behavior is okay, that what they're doing is fine and I'm letting it sp- slit. You like slip I'm giving by. them permission. Yeah. Like if I treat them well. And, and then, look, look you know. at how exactly how Haman felt. Like he was like, oh, okay, she's like, she's not even noticing, you know, she's oblivious. Well, he doesn't know she's <laughs> Jewish yet either. But but I know it's like the symbolic of, things, of the yes, pride. Yeah, it's symbolic of like, OK, now that she's prepared this meal, now Haman starts getting a big head. Mm-hmm. And if we've got if we're in spiritual warfare the enemy has got ground tactics. He's using guerrilla warfare. He's using air warfare. We've got to get just as cunning as the enemy does about our warfare. She could have called out Haman right there, but she allowed God to work. And she said, come back tomorrow. And in one day, Haman exposed himself, right? He built up in pride and he said to himself, wow, you know, Uh, I've been invited to this dinner. He was telling his wife, you know, all of this stuff. And he's like, okay, this is my moment. And he's like, I'm going to hang Mordecai. And so he plots against Mordecai because he hated him. And all the while, Mordecai had had saved the king's life, but the king had forgotten about it. And again, the Lord was the one who brought this up. And so the night after the banquet, the king is getting his evening news, his readings, and it just so happened they pulled up this old news article in, in, the, in the directory of, of the palace news, right, that reminded him that Mordecai had saved his life. Mm. And in that moment, the king said, I've not honored Mordecai. And he brings that is in so Haman. powerful. It's like salvation. Yeah. Like, like we being 
we having a realization that we were redeemed from death, and then it's reminded to us that the Holy Spirit is is the one who has guided us to that place. So if you look at that in comparison to a marriage, right? So you're praying for your spouse. You start to serve them. You bring to the table. You're being open and vulnerable. You're putting yourself in harm's way. You know the enemy is still right there with you. Mm-hmm. But you're you're operating strategically. And then you let the, 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 the Holy Spirit work. And what happens? Their eyes start to open. Even without you bringing up the situation, all of a sudden, the king is made aware Oh, I haven't honored Mordecai. Mordecai is the Holy Spirit. I haven't honored the Holy Spirit. I haven't honored the God who saved my life. And the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He is not going to be forceful. He is not like Haman, who is the opposite, which is pride. Because guess what? When when uh, the king calls in Haman and says, I want to prepare this banquet for this man who is, who is honorable and have done all of this, Haman he says, it was him. it's for me. <laughs> And so Haman goes out and prepares this extravagant prepare a parade thinking it's for him. And that's what the enemy does. He'll set up this own trap that he's going to fall in himself mm-hmm. because he's got the gallows over here and he thinks the parade is for him. But Esther has let God work in her, in her marriage. And so the king turns it on Haman and says, actually, it's Mordecai. And then, of course, Haman is not going to correct the king. And so he's forced to go out there and honor Mordecai and waltz him around and parade him around. And it's, to me, one of the most hilarious things in the Bible to watch. It's like the, the God is forcing the devil to, uh, to bow before him, and the devil has to obey. And then Haman comes in, and now he's coming to the second, second night of the banquet. And the cards have turned in Esther's favor. It wasn't just enough that she had her husband's attention. Now she has her husband's heart. Mm, He was reminded of Mordecai, who was a Jew who saved his life. Now his heart is softened to the issue that she wants to bring before him. And then she does a second meal. She comes before her husband, and then he says, what is your request, Queen Esther? What is your petition? Chapter 7, verse 2. And it shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom it shall be done. He was willing to give her half of the kingdom. And Queen Esther said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. And if I would have held my tongue, the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. And so now the king answered and said, who is this who would dare to kill my wife, who would presume? And there was the opportunity. And the queen pointed her finger and says, this adversary and enemy is the wicked Haman. Oh man, this is so powerful. I hope you're listening to this. I don't know what issue you may be facing in your relationship. And I know this is a woman to her husband. And to be honest, a lot of these challenges are that way. You know, it's hard for women to communicate to their husband, but it might be the other way around. Either way, you might feel like there is this demon operating in your marriage 
It might be the demon of pride. It may be betrayal. Whatever that issue is in your relationship that you feel like your spouse is being controlled by, listen, this is a strategy for you to now fast and pray and call on your prayer warriors to fast and pray with you. Set up a strategy. Begin to serve. Bring your your spouse to the table. Serve them. And pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to work in such a way where it would position you to point out the true enemy. She could have pointed to her husband and said, the the decree that you made, and then threw Haman on into the mix there with, with him. But she didn't point to her husband. She pointed to the enemy. Right when her husband's heart was open and said, that is the enemy. That's the adversary. That thing that the Holy Spirit's been working on you in the background, right? You remembered that Jew? Guess what? This person over here wants to kill that Jew and wants to kill this Jew, your wife as well. And then all of a sudden, the tables turn in a, in a fell swoop. The dilemma is, is brought to a resolve because she chose to trust in, in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and we've said in the previous episodes too that like the husbands represent like the apostolic council in, in the family and then the wives, the Holy Spirit. The prophetic, yeah. The prophetic, I'm sorry. And then um, I just feel like that it's so powerful, like this whole story, even though it's directed more at the woman, but I think it also recognizes that women are powerful. Like they recognize that there's this thing when a man is solely focused on a job, just like this King was just focused on doing his duties. And he didn't even know that he was consulting with pride that Mm. he was consulting with the devil himself, but she had to allow this process to work through to where he started recognizing the, the pride the was prize, there. The pride was there, and that's when she could have. That's when she said, "This is the issue," because if she would have said it then, I, I dare to say I don't know if he would have had the same he had reaction. Such loyalty to Haman. Yeah, Haman has was his right hand man. Exactly. And so, for her to attack Haman then would be a personal attack on him. Mm-hmm. But at that point, she had served and gotten to his heart and allowed God. To draw that dividing line between the man, the king, the position, the title, and the devil that was whispering in his ear. And you know what's powerful about the story, too, is that <clears throat> that decree was not able to, it was not able to be like Reversed. revoked, mm-hmm. uh, but they were able to create another decree where they were able to Fight. defend themselves. Uh-huh. And one thing that we can say for sure is just because you uproot something that's so powerful in your marriage does not mean that you'll still won't have to fight for it it doesn't that mean that it, so so good. that it won't yeah. be reversed to where oh now it's easy peasy we'll never have to address this again but when it's something is so deeply rooted such That's a so big good. issue you're still gonna have to fight for it because it not only is affecting your marriage you as people but it's it's affecting nations it's affecting your children if you're not going to fight you're going to succumb to the enemy fighting you Right, but just take a, a common issue that ends marriages, which is adultery, right? Mm, yeah. Even though you've captured the heart of your spouse, you've gotten to the root of why this adultery happened, it's not like you can reverse time. It's not like you can erase the fact that your spouse has cheated on you, and now that has consequences within your family, with because your kids. you lose trust. And then you have to build trust again, all of these things. So, yes, you've captured their heart, but no, too, 
that it can't be reversed when something happens. But what can happen is a secondary to decree can come and superimpose itself that's over that issue. Yes. And that's the decree of Jesus Christ who forgave us of our sins and said, it's not that you didn't do it, but that I'm releasing you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to fight with you to overcome. And that's what we do in our marriages as well. When we've captured the heart of our spouse, we get to the root issue. We've still got to deal with the consequences of this problem that's been in your marriage for some of you 20, 30 years or more. And it's not going to take a day to uproot. I mean, the Jews were enabled to fight. That's what, and so this is what this strategy is going to enable you and your spouse to do. Now that you've gotten to the heart of the issue, you're going to be able to fight together against that common enemy and save your family. Yeah, and to put it also in another scriptural context too is First Corinthians thirteen four through seven, that scripture that talks about love is patient, love is you know when we read it, it's like that sounds so un, not attainable. But I love this. It says it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, and that's exactly what we talked about in this story. That the pride was what was what was addressed, and it was put to death. It says it does not uh, dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Exactly what we said, whenever your spouse has committed something wrong, that it's you are able to forgive, but it's not like it's not existent anymore. It has never existed before. But you are able to superimpose the grace of God that God extended to you and extend the same to your spouse. And it says, love does not uh, delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Mm. How are you supposed, how, how can you, a lot of people's question is like, how do you build trust after that? Like, how can I trust this person? And, and the, the answer is, it's not an easy path. I think as long as that person is, is just like this king, is also a understands that this is the issue and addresses this issue and is willing to work, then you are going to have to have the grace for your spouse, but also together create parameters and boundaries that you need for your relationship to continue working and that trust to be rebuilt. It doesn't mean that you proceed as as normal. That means that maybe there's certain things in your marriage that was not good. Maybe you didn't have safeguards. Maybe there was issues that were not addressed and you didn't have that vulnerability in your marriage. Mm. So you didn't, you were not willing to risk at that time. And now you're sort of kind of paying for it. You know, like you said, there's no way that you cannot ever address those things. Those things are going to come out anyway. So might as well address it head on, but do it in a, in a right way where they will be addressed and then you can move forward with it instead of it blowing up and it becoming a bigger issue than Mm. it is. That's so, so powerful, man. There's a lot that we can uh, settle into here and think about, right? You know, trust is earned uh, in, in a certain degree. If your trust is in that person, but if your trust is in the Lord, Mm. right? You're trusting that, even if this person betrays me, even if this person hurts me, that God's going God's gonna to help me through it and God's going to give me a strategy, just like he gave Esther, to be able to get to the heart of my spouse and confront the issue together head on. Um, I, I want you to sit with this. 
you know, and, and write to us. If you're experiencing a challenge, let us pray with you. You know, 864-428-7131. You can text us anytime, 864-428-7131. If you're about to confront this issue in your marriage, man, let us pray for you. Come on. And uh, even right now, Father, I pray for those who are facing what seems like insurmountable odds in their marriage, hurt and pain that has built up, God. And there's nations in the balance. There's generations in the balance. And I pray that you would give each one of those listening a strategy just like you give Esther, that the Holy Spirit would come to each of them like Mordecai to Esther and would be a counselor to guide them through this process so that they can become vulnerable so that they can devise a strategy that would expose the enemy and help them to get to the heart of their spouse. Oh, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would wrap them in his arms and that they would find comfort and peace knowing that what is before them may be challenging and hurtful and even risky, but it's going to be worth it in the end, Father. I bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, make sure you follow us on social media and let us know how this podcast is impacting you. Also, I would like to say that if you have a, a major issue in your marriage and you feel like it's just impossible for you to address it, we offer mediation and it has been such a powerful tool. We have been blessed by it, just even seeing people walk through major issues in their life where it's pride it was you know infidelity you name it we have seen it and the lord has really worked in these couples lives where we are seeing them thrive and if you are having a hard time addressing these things with your spouse this is a safe place we are not coming to just give you guys wisdom that is of this world it's wisdom from from the scriptures. That's where we're getting it for our marriage. We don't have a perfect marriage. We just have been doing this for a while and we want to offer this wisdom to you. So if you want to schedule an in-person session with us, or you can do actually a zoom as well. If you are out of town, if you're not anywhere locally, we have done zoom calls as well. And they have been exceptionally effective as well. Go to mormostforever.com and book a session with us. We would love to help you guys with any of your issues that you're having in your marriage. Yes. And if you've been blessed by this or any of our other messages, please consider becoming a partner. Go to moremostforever.com right now and uh, partner with this ministry for any amount. And we'll see you next week for another powerful episode of Needed Conversations. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.